Welcome to Sound Encounters, the show where I take you on a musical journey as we explore different genres, bands and artists, and new and classic releases. I'm Cesar Torres, and I'll be your guide today. Thank you for joining me for this week of Sound Encounters. I have an incredible show for you because this is the first time I'm having a guest on the show. And in fact, I just finished editing the entire segment that uh, we recorded for over an hour and a half. And so I think because this segment is so lengthy and I'm excited to talk to this special guest that I think we're going to cut the intro a bit short because I think as you can see from the episode's runtime, we have a behemoth of an episode. So... Without further ado, here is a guide to Tool. All right, so for this guide, I brought on a special guest because this special guest, oh man, I think the first thing I knew about this special guest was that they were a fan of Tool. (laughs) Would you say that's correct? Yeah, that's like I, I would say that I'm actually the only uh, gay tool fan that exists. So yes, yes, I, and you're the only other tool fan that I know. Uh, I don't really know any other tool fans, so I thought it was appropriate to bring my good friend Edward to talk about tool. Edward, thank you for joining this week's show. Thank you, thank you. I'm uh, extremely excited to make my first appearance on the podcast circuit. Yes. And oh my gosh, we've been talking about this collaboration for a while because, well, look, not to not to get everyone excited because we don't know how far out this will be. But like we were talking about a hyper pop um, episode, you, you, you might you might look forward to that because that'll be interesting if we do a hyper pop episode. But we have similar tastes in music um, and, and Tool was just one of them where you know, I had somebody on the Instagram tell me like, oh, maybe you should do a guide, you know, to Tool. And I and I told you about this and you were just like, get me on the podcast. We can talk about Tool together. Get me on the pod stat. <laughs> so before we get into Tool's little biography, could you tell me your experience with Tool, how you got into them and give us a, a, a bit of a, a description of how Tool sounds like? Oh, man. I think the first time I got into Tool was um, I remember kind of vividly just driving around in my dad's truck with him, um, or rather being a passenger in my dad's truck. And he would put on these like little CDs, I guess, I guess mixtapes really, of uh, just random music, you know. I feel like a lot of dads do that. And he had Tool on there. And I don't know, I, I thought they were cool and didn't think much of it. And then in undergrad, I kind of got back into them somehow. I can't really remember. I think it was just like, a, I remember listening to this band. Let me listen to it again. Yeah. And um, I thought it was just absolutely banging. So I kind of listened to them more. I wrote like essays on them for a class. Um, and I've done like a lot of amateur investigation on them, really. Um, I, you can say you can say I'm an amateur scholar of Tool. <laughs> so who better than the the Tool analyst to, to be on, on this week's podcast? That's right. You know, it's kind of funny because I also discovered Tool in undergrad uh, mainly because uh, Fear Inoculum was announced when I was in undergrad. 2019, 2018 maybe. 
Um, although I know that that album had been delayed and there were some issues with that album. But I was curious. And, and then, you know, all of Tool's back catalog was put onto Spotify all in one day. And so that's how I got into Tool. You had more humble beginnings, though, and you you actually wrote about them. And so, yeah, that's I guess that's our credentials for talking about Tool. Yeah, so we are we are the Tool experts. We're the only people you need to listen to about this. Exactly, exactly. And so now let's talk a bit about how the band was formed. Tool formed in Los Angeles by percussionist Danny Carey, guitarist Adam Jones, vocalist Maynard James Keenan, and the original bassist of the band, Paul de Amour, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Demore and Jones wanted to work in the film industry, and Keenan was remodeling pet stores, and they were all in Los Angeles. Keenan and Jones were in a band called Green Jelly. Never heard of them. Have you heard of them? Nope. I, apparently, they're like some like comedy band that's still active today. Um, but uh, maybe we, we need to we do we need to do an episode about that. We'll do like a spinoff episode for Tool and talk about Green Jelly. Um, and Carrie was playing with Carol King and Pygmy Love Cir- Circus. Never heard of them either. Um, and Jones was rep- impressed by a recording of Keenan's singing, and they started playing together. And they started looking for a drummer and bass player for their, you know, possible band. Uh, fortunately for them, Carrie lived in the same building as Keenan and, and started playing in their sessions. And a friend of Jones introduced them to bassist De Amour. Still don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, early I, think their- I think it's De Amour. De Amour? Okay, okay. Um, and now I want to read a quote from uh, uh, Keenan. And I want to see if you know this quote, because in the, in the early Tool days, Keenan described Tool as a big dick. It's a wrench. Mm-hmm. We are your tool. Use us as a catalyst in your process of finding out whatever it is you need to find out or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And I love that quote. You know, as as we examine their lyrics, as we start to talk about their albums, you know, it, it, it really makes sense, like, why Keenan would describe their music in this way. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that um, it's probably the only quote from this band that you can take in 100% earnest, because as you'll hear later on, a lot of their lyrics are very ambiguous and can have, you know, 50 different meanings, depending on... Uh, which freak on the internet you listen to, including us. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Even, you know, as I was doing my research and I was looking through uh, Genius, because Genius has a lot of, like, annotated quotes. And they'll... Like, the best ones. Yeah, and they'll, they'll pull, like, quotes from Keenan or any other, like, member from the band. And I forget which song it was. It might have been on, like... Oh, I might have been on Anima, like an, a song on Anima. Maybe it might have been Stinkfist, actually. And there was like an argument in the comments. It's just like you guys are like overanalyzing it, or you're like underanalyzing it. You're not giving this song its proper attention. And I just thought that was so funny. And, and the, the fact that like the band knows this and they kind of play to it a little bit and and kind of troll too, like with their lyrics. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, Tool they introduced listeners to low-end chunky riffs you know they they are i guess you could classify them as like progressive alt metal but they kind of weren't like that in the early days 72826 is a demo tape that contains early versions of sober crawl away hush and part of me uh, as well as contains uh, jerk off and cold and ugly uh, which would be expanded upon on their debut ep opiate in 1992 
and 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 they sound more traditionally metal here. There's there's clear verse, chorus, verse, song structures, clear uh, verses or clear vocals, I should say. And, and yeah, this kind of sounds traditionally heavy metal, at, at least to me. Um, yeah, I would I would say that it's very um, traditional. Like you can definitely tell they were kind of just starting out in their um, in kind of their band chemistry. Yeah, exactly. And and there were even parts where I I felt that they were a bit punkier, like just how fast they were playing, and a little bit of screaming, which is you know typical for both punk and metal. Um, but more so, I think, um, punk. Um, and, and, you know, when they go into their more alt-metal phase, progressive metal phase, Maynard likes to switch up uh, between actually, like, melodically singing to, like, screaming, yelling, and even growling. But there's there's less of that here. Right, yeah. I definitely agree. It's very um, punky in terms of its sound, and even, like, in its lyrics, um, at least on the surface. I would say Opiate's probably... One of the projects from Tool that you can, for the most part, take at surface level is very angry. It's very punky in that it talks shit about people, talks shit about authority, um, talks shit about religion. Um, it's, it's a very angry, like, punky album. Or EP, rather. Yeah, and we're going to hear more of that, like, criticism on people and religion more as we get into their discography uh which is which it's a great start for the band just in terms of like oh this is what they're about lyrically but as we see in let's say undertow their first uh, full-length album they'll get into more of that alt metal sound listeners are introduced to their emotional storytelling again we have low-end chunky riffs Devastating percussion and Maynard James Keenan's voice, which if I could say I absolutely love his voice. If I can pick my favorite aspect of Tool's music, it would I would probably be, you know, his singing. Like I said earlier, he can go from very melodic to yelling and screaming and growling. And I think Maynard is is definitely one like up there in terms of the best vocalist in the genre. Absolutely. He has such a wide sound. He's got a nice range and even just a wide range of methods that he can apply. You know, like you said, he's very melodic, but um, usually other bands, they might have someone else do some of the screaming or the growling. But um, he just goes in, he goes hard. He's like, I'll do whatever and I'll make it sound badass. Yeah, that's definitely one of the like first things that attracted me to their music. Um, another thing that really attracted me was the lyrical storytelling. You know, as we see on a song like Prison Sex, which is a very, like, when you think of prison sex, you think of one thing. And, and uh, like, the song is not about that, like, one thing. Instead, the lyrics seem to explore the psychological effects of sexual abuse. And what I really love is how he takes that and he starts talking about like being trapped in the same area, like the same household as the abuser. Right. One of the lyrics that I wrote down was the refrain, the abused can become abusers and it, and it sort of perpetuates the cycle of abuse. So like I wrote down your breathing. So I guess you're still alive, 
even if signs seem to tell me otherwise, which man, when I, when I first heard that, I was like, holy shit, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that's some intense, uh, writing. And I immediately like fell in love with, with, you know, their lyrical writing. Yeah. They, um, they really seem to, uh, tie in just themes about like cycles of abuse and all these really hard topics that um, are traditionally covered in music, but I don't know. I don't, I feel as if Tool does it on another level, really. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, like a lot of mainstream music touches upon surface level, like, you know, feelings, you know, we've all heard the same love song on the air and, and there are some bands that, you know, go deeper and, and you know, talk about that stuff. And, and, you know, maybe we, we've heard songs on the air that talk about just pain, but just the way that, you know, Maynard goes into this is just so, I, I, the only words that I can describe the outro for this song specifically are like both sickening and, and heartbreaking because the character, the main character of this song just finds sanity within the cycle. And, and it, again, it goes full circle. And then the the ending of the song is repeated by the line you look so precious as like the guitar like the instrumentation like dies down and he's like you know singing softer until like it it fades out and i'm just like damn that was that was fucking rough <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you got a song like sober which is probably one of their most popular songs it, it was definitely one of the songs that got them on the map um when they were first starting out and th- and that deals with you know an addict manipulating you know people around them sort of just being really truthful about the addict's plan to sort of drain them of their emotional attachment to them yeah so like um this is actually a theme that tool kind of brings up in a couple of other songs uh maynard james keenan actually brings up this theme in um other projects that he's worked on too uh that aren't necessarily like strictly tool like um, there's a couple of really good A Perfect Circle songs that references addiction and how it can uh, really mess with people's psyche. One that comes to mind is, I believe it's called The Outsider. And what is The Outsider about? Because I don't think, um, I, well, to be fair, I haven't heard a lot of A Perfect Circle songs and albums. So I'll be straight up. I'm not as much of a, a Perfect Circle scholar as I am for Tool, but... Essentially, like, the song is about this narrator talking to this person that they used to like that has really succumbed to addiction. It's trying to manipulate people. And he's basically, like, saying, like, if you're just going to fuck yourself over by drugs after you've betrayed me so many times and, like, lied to me saying that you're going to get better, um, if you're just going to keep lying to me and ruin your life, go somewhere else. I don't want to see you fuck yourself over like this. Yeah, that, that, that theme does get brought up a lot in their music. I mean, that's kind of like the whole point of an album like Undertow. I mean, mm-hmm. even the, like the name Undertow sort of is just being drowned out by your addiction and succumbing to uh, addiction. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely apparent in within the title track to Undertow. You know, they, ref- they directly say about, uh, you know, in the beginning of the song, it talks about how you're like really high, twice, twice as clear as heaven, twice as loud as reason. Um, that could be that could be considered the like the the, the drugs in that second verse, um, half as high as heaven, half as clear as reason. It kind of ju- is juxtaposed to that first verse, and it's like the thing that was really cool in the beginning, or really just amazing, is 
like the the singer or the narrator in that song has a moment of clarity in that second verse and it's just like this is like swallowing me um and surrounding me and wiping me away but also at the same time i don't care because it feels so good yeah i think i think probably one of my favorite lyrics on this uh, album comes from this title track uh especially how could i let this bring me back to my knees and Mm -hmm. it's just it's again just powerful storytelling from the lyrics and it's funny because when i first got into tool i was so like i was more concerned with how the music sounded i was less concerned with how the lyrics or, or like the storytelling was you know, I you know I listen to a track like Sober and I'm like, man, that bass and the guitar are chugging along. It sounds really badass, especially that heavy bass riff. But when you take a step back and look at the lyrics, you're just like, man, it, it goes into some dark places. And but it's it's just uh, going back to that like quote that I read before we talked about any of their music. It's just somebody can look at this and really just form their own narrative from it and it could even help them especially you know addicts uh especially those who have sort of lost their path in life for for uh, a lack of a better term and that uh, you know goes right into another favorite track of mine uh bottom which for the most part i don't know if you agree with me or if you will agree with me but I, you know i love maynard singing i just don't think he finds his stride yet in this album i think he does it you know his, his his singing gets a bit better on the next album but i feel like this is his emotional peak uh on the record uh because the lyrics are self-loathing and there's some real passion behind his delivery when when addressing this these self-loathing uh, uh emotions uh and the guitar is right there with him just fiercely shredding along it, it adds to Maynard's delivery. And then there's that refrain before the, the spoken word passage that changes the intensity from fast and grueling to mid-paced and, and to this menacing drone with, with subtle bass and drums playing. Um, and, and uh, you know, going back to that spoken word passage, you know, well, one, it's Henry Rollins from Black Flag, and I fucking love Black Flag, so I, I can't believe I didn't recognize Henry Rollins when I first heard this track. Uh, but he narrates this passage about, you know, confronting and escaping an addiction or, or something that is harmful. So that that was like kind of like an another eye-opening moment for me in terms of just how I- incredible the band is able to portray these, you know, emotions and these feelings through the lyrics. Right, yeah. This is, um, these first two projects, are really good just examples of in-your-face just emotion, like walls of sound. They're really good at just um, being pretty, like for the most part, pretty upfront with what they're feeling and um, are unashamed to really uh, be vulnerable at the same time. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, Definitely more so with Undertow. But mm-hmm. they do get a bit experimental on the final track, Disgustipated, which is kind of a real word. It's a combination of two words. But uh, I, I fucking love this track just for the fact that it's like, oh my God, like 15, 16 minutes long. Um, and this is a track that like kind of mocks religion. <laughs> There's sheeps like buying before the uh, spoken word passage begins. 
definitely they, they dip their toe in the more experimental route. And that's sort of realized in their next album, Anima. I should also mention that at this time, De Amour, is that, is that how you say it? I, I keep De Amour. De Amour, yeah. He left the band and Justin Chancellor took over as the bassist. And this would remain the permanent lineup for the band until current day. So mm-hmm. more more of that alt metal that made their music so compelling on Undertow. But, you know, I would say that they got a little wackier and more psychedelic with technical improvements in their composition. Yeah, definitely. They um they kind of changed things up a little bit with uh, this album, which I'll say the um, Anima is probably one of my one of like my favorite album from their discography, at least in terms of quantity of just absolute bangers um like i'm like looking through the track list and i'm pre- I, I think every single song from this album that isn't like a like an interlude or like transition track it's just banger after banger you know you got stink fist eulogy h 46 and 2 hooker with a penis jimmy push it like anima and then third eye absolute bangers every single one of them and they're all bangers in their own special way yeah, I got to agree. And, and it, it's funny that you bring up the interludes because, you know, tracks like 46 and 2, Hooker with a Penis, Jimmy, are great to listen to because they are giving us more of what made them great on Undertow. Hooker with the Penis sounds great because of guitar and vocal distortion, along with like heavy pulsating riffs. Uh, 46 and 2 gives us more chunky downtune riffs. On Jimmy, you know, Maynard's voice, you know, being stretched out and, and, and an effect that makes it reverberate, makes it more uh, psychedelic. But the interludes, um, like Intermission, is is a nice little organ instrumental, and Die Er von Satan is a, I think I said that right too, is an intimidating and nightmarish industrial track that, which by the way, that track, like the lyrics are talking about a cookie recipe. Um, and I know you don't like them, but I think they add a lot of like flavor to uh, the album and I normally don't like interlude tracks but these are just so like these are the funnest like interlude like tool interlude tracks yeah I'm just not a big fan of interlude tracks in general I've I think every single interlude track either from tool or otherwise it's just too corny for me unless well rather there are um, a couple of a couple of uh, exemptions to this rule but I'm not a, I'm not a not an interlude kind of gal well that's okay because there are a, a shit ton of bangers on this one like you said before, I mean, Stink Fist, oh my god, that's such a phenomenal opening track. It's yeah. a propulsive, like, heavy metal track that constantly shifts between these moments of calm and explosive energy. Possibly one of yeah. my favorites is, like, Eulogy, because that's that's another track that, like, mocks religion, and it's, it's a sarcastic eulogy to, like... It sounds like he's talking about Christ, but it could also be like a Christ-like cult leader, which is pretty much every like cult leader. Uh, um, but that slow build to that mid-tempo, like chugging guitars to the soaring energetic playing is just amazing. I I, I absolutely love the constant shifting and, and evolving uh, song structure on, uh, uh, of most of these tracks. And I'll add that eulogy. Um... One of the many uh, like theories surrounding Tool um, is in this song. They're kind of a it's a, a testament, or rather a um, it's a diss track rather for um, L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, oh, okay. 
because they they've had like those i mean obviously they have like if they aren't uh very big fans of religion or organized religion um from opiate in their first ep to um just other tracks but especially eulogy um and they kind of in this one they're kind of specifically talking about i believe scientology and they've had like conflicts with them before too in one of their live shows they uh found out that they're doing a show at a venue i believe owned by the church of scientology and so yeah, um I think so too. they just kind of uh bod like sheep for yeah. a lot of the show yeah because they couldn't like pull out they they like, at the last second so they just ended up playing and 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 yeah, that's what I that's what I kind of mean when they're like when I say that they're kind of trolls. And even like the interlude track that I mentioned, Dyer von Satan, you know, it's a fucking cookie recipe. Like I I love that they like sort of embrace that troll energy. And even you were telling me about like how different their live shows are now compared to early like tool tool live shows, which kind of seems troll like, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like the lines are blurred there. Yeah, I don't know. This is another one of those moments where you probably, I mean, you probably can't take what they say at face value just because they have like a history of trolling people. So in the past, and you can really just go to YouTube and look up any older tool live shows, you would see uh, Maynard James Keenan just like up front and center looking absolutely demonic, really. Um, Like staring down a single member of the audience with just like a death glare. Um, you'll, if you just look up one of their live shows on YouTube, you'll you'll see what I mean, really. Like, if you look at any of their stuff from the 90s. Oh, yeah, and we then, were uh, watching something together a couple nights we ago. We were. Uh, I highly recommend looking up maybe their, their 1999 performance of Jerk Off from their uh, Opiate EP. Absolute, absolutely awesome live performance. But um, nowadays, or rather, not even just nowadays, it's really been for a while now. Maynard James Keenan will, instead of being front and center like a traditional frontman, he will stand in the back, kind of um, over back by or behind the drums and um, be literally just shrouded in darkness, just kind of really stand there and vibe (laughs) and sing in the background. Sometimes he'll be in like costuming, like I believe he was in a SWAT uniform or SWAT armor for a couple years or at least during one of his tours. And I don't know why they do this. People on the internet say it might be because of um, some kind of sensitivity or um, sensitivity of the eyes for Maynard and that something's just happened and he can't really, like he just physically can't do that anymore, like be up in the front anymore in front of all the lights. Some people have said that um, he's just trolling people because he thinks Tool fans are like um, annoying as hell. (laughs) And so um, he's just like in the back, like get attention off of him. And there's probably a bunch of other theories too, but. I feel like either of these two theories that I just mentioned are like equally plausible. Yeah, that kind of makes sense though, like the whole sensitivity thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess there's there's been a lot of shit that's happened to him, like even like two thousand one, two like two thousand six, in his life that could probably probably like we could point to and be like, you know, this this could be it. This could be the reason why. But before we move on to speaking of two thousand one, before we move on to the third LP, I want to mention uh, Third Eye which is probably, ugh. it's hard to say it's my favorite Tool album, or Tool song, I should say, because I have really switched off when listening to these records. But talk about a mind-bending experience. Just 13 minutes, building tension, 
just intense releases and, and then back to, to tension building, just arduous and electrifying guitar riffs and insane pounding drum solos, which by the way, fucking Carrie, such an amazing drummer. Definitely. He's probably one of the, if not the best drummer alive. Yeah. Absolutely. He, I don't think there's anyone that can do the absolute bonker shit he can do on the drums. Just playing like so many like different kinds of drums and auxiliary instruments um, on the same set while just changing time signatures all the time. Um, and the time signatures they use are already just like absolutely fucking ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. We'll get into that. <laughs> this next <laughs> album. But yeah. Oh, God. And, and if, if you just want to like listen to what we're talking about, listen to Third Eye. And I know it's 13 minutes long, but damn, like I would say that's that's top like five carry performances on third eye absolutely absolutely just yeah. strap in and just get ready <laughs> should definitely oh man you should definitely smoke while listening to third eye it'll definitely open your third eye you know before i actually kind of um was more serious about their music i actually had that opinion on ironically for the longest time <laughs> i wanted to just like get extremely high or like do acid for the first time and just listen to the song or <laughs> do you think do you think uh, uh uh maynard would approve of that so i i don't know it's kind of ambiguous sometimes i feel like he's okay with drugs as long as you aren't like just ruining your own life with them because i don't know they don't strike me as like the kind of people that are straight edge or anything like that so i, I feel like they might just be the kinds of folks that are like you know it's okay to like smoke weed and maybe do acid once in a while just you know don't don't trade your whole life for it Oh, yeah, exactly. That being said, though, I mean, I feel like if you told me that they took like hardcore drugs for lateralis, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't bat an eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would not be surprised because the vibe on this album is completely different. There is so much growth for this band uh, in, a, you know, in between lateralis and anima. Mm hmm. Musically, I feel like this album is probably one of the most complicated albums that I've uh, ever heard. Like one of just one of the most convoluted albums. Oh, <laughs> in, in a good yeah. way. In a good way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so before we talk about any of the other like tracks on this album, like Schism was, I think the track that got them a lot of mainstream attention. It, it, it fucking won a Grammy. Um, from a lyrical and songwriting perspective, you know, I could see why it got so popular. You know, the lyrics seem to refer to a severed relationship due to communication issues. And at first, the instrumentation is like, it, it seems relatively easy to follow along. You know, there's galloping and, and lively drums and guitar playing. But from a technical perspective, it's mind-blowing. According to Wikipedia, this like song changes meters about 45 times. Yeah. Altering between combinations of measures of uh, six eight and seven eight, <laughs> the band even like made up like six and a half eight for this song. It's it's bonkers. And for those that are like not necessarily um, like music theory experts or anything like that, or even really beginners, six eight and seven eight those aren't necessarily used in more common songs. You don't see music like that very often, at least. Uh, like contemporarily unless you're like into some really niche stuff and to change the time signature back and forth that many times is just it's the amount of counting that you have to do in your head is just crazy yeah exactly 
So you know, while I was doing my research on this album, I, I I thought that the whole Fibonacci sequence thing was a meme. I thought mm-hmm. it, I thought like people were just blowing that out of proportion. But if you look at the title track, this song is insanely like sequenced because the the syllables and the verses kind of match up with the sequence of one one, two three five eight five three. I mean, just like the first verse, black then. White are all I see in my infancy, red and yellow, then came to be reaching out to me, lets me see. And when I learned that they did this, I was like, damn, Anima was my favorite Tool album until I, I did my research on Lateralis and, and it really appreciated what they did here. Yeah, definitely. My my favorite album always jumps between Anima and Lateralis because they're both just so good in their own, in like their own different ways. Like, Anima has the most bangers, but Lateralis just like it just gets me. <laughs> it's 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 honestly a technical achievement, and I don't Absolutely. say that very often. I don't say that very often. It's it's a technical achievement. Even the time signature for the main riff is insane because it, it switches between nine eight, eight eight, and seven eight, and it, like when you put it all together. 987 is like the 17th term in the Fibonacci sequence. So yeah, definitely a lot of time went into structuring these songs in this album in this way. Um, And it's, it's impressive. Yeah. And I'll say that this is another one of those things where the band is really ambiguous or just outright trolling people. Cause they've been asked about this a few times about whether or not it's actually the Fibonacci sequence. Because, you know, it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. But um, in interviews, they've said that, like, like, I think on Joe Rogan, Maynard said that this is like a complete accident, really. It's just like complete coincidence. And I don't know if they're trying to gaslight fans, which they do sometimes, let's be honest. Um, Or if it's if they're like being legit or I don't know, it's hard to tell sometimes. I think I think I like that they not that they gaslight or anything, but like I like that they troll and they're not like willing to give away like all the answers or, or tell us everything because then, you know, it generates conversation and it it makes it easier for us to come back to it and, and discover more things about this album, which I think is perfect. Like this is a perfect kind of album where I can go back and be like, damn, like I didn't like this song before, and now I like it. Or damn, like I learned about the Fibonacci sequence. It, it just it, it just makes this you know the, the the content on this album just evergreen. Definitely, they um I feel like a lot of people that listen to Tool they it's very much like a precursor to fans of uh like Rick and Morty or <laughs> like BoJack Horseman in that um you know people that are that consume these shows they think that they're extra smart because they consume it and they'll like you know string all these different bits together and they look like conspiracy theorists or that they like try to like do whole dissertations about tool about just like really disparate ideas and i was um, was wondering when you're gonna bring up the rick and morty connection to to tool (laughs) i love when you make that connection it's so funny to me because i mean it very is much so like i mean i wasn't alive whenever tool was like first popular but I can easily, easily see people just like going around their high school and their fucking like trench coats saying like, I'm listening to this really intellectual and esoteric band. You just wouldn't get it in a way like 
just like Rick and Morty and like BoJack Horseman, they're like they're both like really solid pieces of media. But I mean, I would say Tool is probably a hell of a lot more like solid and uh, just just better than Rick and Morty or BoJack Horseman. But like um, the people that make their whole identity based around consuming this kind of media. Um, I feel like Tool is the kind of Tool is the kind of band that will say like, if if you think that you're busy listening to our music, you're a freak, <laughs> and so we're gonna we're gonna fuck with you to make to make you kind of seem like a dumbass just to like put an egg on your face. I mean, you, like you listen to a track like Mantra from this album, and you're just like, damn, that sounds really creepy, and and it's like stretched out, it's kind of psychedelic, and then what I learned is that mantra is a just a clip of maynard like touching his cat and like mm-hmm. <laughs> slowing like slowing that little like audio clip down to like a minute and a half i think um and you know you could, you could be like damn that's like what is this like what does this mean could this like have like a connection to aliens because they like to make that connection a lot in their music um but no it's just maynard's cat it, it just it feels like another troll move mm-hmm before we move on to the next album, I want to talk about possibly. I think this suite, these these this group of songs, made this album my favorite Tool album. Yeah, Schism and and Lateralis are great songs, but Disposition into Reflection into Triad is such a fantastic twenty one minutes of pure energy and meditation. Disposition is a rather like calming track with Maynard repeating a mantra with a skindrum rhythm. Uh, then Reflection might be my favorite cut from this album. Um, I, I, you know, I am impressed what they were able to do with the Fibonacci sequence, but I, I love slow burn tracks, which they do that, you know, perfectly. We get several minutes of polyrhythms with more skindrums, foreboding synths, and what sounds like an Indian bowed string instrument at the start. Then Maynard's vocals with that effect makes him sound like he's communicating to us from like another world. Um, but it's like just goosebump inducing it and definitely probably just uh, like, it's so good. And then, uh, triad is the final piece of this puzzle, which is a thrilling, you know, guitar riff with drums and and more bowed strings and, and more skin drums. Fantastic way to close the album. And I'll say, um, basically this whole album they do kind of talk about some esoteric and enigmatic stuff um, throughout this album. It's very like they talk very much about being connected to one another. And so like the, the Rick and Morty fans who say that they're like really smart for listening to this. I mean, they might have a point sometimes like Parabola. Um, oh, yeah. It's like it's really talking about just being uh, like interconnected. Um, and it's kind of a twist, really, on their usual take on religion, because they the the pre-chorus you know they say you know this holy reality holy experience but they kind of flip it on its head and say that you know being in the moment and really just understanding that you're not alone in this gruesome world that's kind of like their religion is solidarity with their uh with their neighbors yeah and i think that's that's like I think this is like the peak of their lyrical writing in terms of conveying that message. I mean, they're they're going to talk about it later in, in these you know upcoming albums, but uh, what they were able to like write here was just pretty mind blowing. Right. 
So I think one of my favorite songs from this album actually is um, The Patient, just because it's got like a really nice, just the wall of sound after that second verse. They, it's just like an ex, like the sound just exponentially increases after verse two when he, he says, and I'm still right here and he sustains uh, here. And the sound is just, it just drives off a cliff. It's just absolutely crazy. And we kind of see a softer side of Maynard here where you can kind of see like a lot of people say that this is about and this is kind of written about his mother in some way and we see sort of this like theme about his mother on the next album 10,000 Days which well before we talk about that it was it was was kind of an underwhelming listen at first it's not as dense or technically impressive as their last two albums but 10,000 Days does have bangers Mm-hmm. And I think when talking about Tool's discography, this one really stands out because of the emotional, just like, you know, their, their music's been emotional before in the past, but this one has just really personal storytelling from Maynard. Right. Yeah. In like the first couple of projects, um, there's like this raw emotion, but it's like anger and um, it's pain, but the more aggressive kind of pain and the kind that makes you want to just go after someone. Whereas the pain that you hear in 10,000 days is, it's more just like you kind of just want to curl in a ball and maybe cut. I, yeah. I mean, just listening to the track wings for Marie part one is like, it's really soft. And when I first heard this, I was just like, man, this is just, this is just not for me because I, I just came off of listening to Anima and Lateralis and this is just so like, not weak, but just like, oh man, this is, yeah, it's not for me. But then you, you, you dig deeper in the lyrics and you're just like, oh my God, he's singing about his like late mother who mm-hmm. she suffered an aneurysm when Maynard was 11, um, which left her paralyzed for the rest of her life. And 10,000 days actually refers to the 27 years that she lived after being paralyzed and and you know along with the instrumentation just like it's mesmerizing and it's like i i love that circular reverb guitar but it, it also just adds to the emotion of the storytelling and and the song itself is actually just a touching tribute to maynard's mother and i was just like wow i, I did not expect tool to you know go to this route after something like lateralis but you know, there, there is something to appreciate here in 10,000 Days. Yeah, definitely. It's a really nice testament, really, to just some of the pains in life that people go through. Nestled in with uh, some other just, you know, classic Tool songs. I would say that this album is probably, I don't know, compared to other Tool projects, this album is like, okay. Like, it stands out on its own, like, very solidly. But I don't know, I could just be more primed to the more in-your-face kind of sound. I would say that it's like a pretty like decent album. It's not like a top three, but it's still pretty solid. Well, yeah. But I mean, aside from like the, the more emotional stuff, they still have some bangers. I, I would say like oh, the, the I think the first half of this album is actually like the best half of this album um, because we get cuts. We get cuts like Vicarious and, and Jambi, which mm-hmm. are the harder and heavier stuff. And again, like they set like a a high standard after lateralis uh you know especially with all of the the technically complex stuff that they did 
But, you know, I am a sucker for those, like, just hard and heavy riffs. I mean, just Vicarious, like, opening that this album with this track and, and having that, like, pounding breakdown near the end, it fucking slaps. <laughs> and, and, and Jambi's, like, relentless riff, that head-banging guitar solo in the middle of the track, and that amazing percussion is just like, ooh, it's, it's so good. And, and, and Jambi really kind of also works as a setup to the rest of, like, the album's narrative, um, because that song, like, well, first, the name of the song is named after uh, a, a character from Pee Wee's Playhouse, um, a genie named Jambi who grants wishes. Uh, and the lyrical context of this song is, you know, Maynard wishing somebody was back from the dead, uh, you know, a loved one. And then we later find out it's his mother. So, yeah, well, I, I agree. It's definitely not one of my top three albums. I think there's a lot to uh, appreciate here. Definitely. I would say that if somehow, you know, Anything from lateralis, ba- lateralis backward just didn't exist. I would, I would really, really appreciate this album. Um, but I think because I was just so set up um, yeah. with these previous albums, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking like, this is good, but not entirely. I don't know. It's, it's good. I'll just leave it at that. It's like, it's okay. It could probably, it could possibly fit. Like if this was released in between Undertow and Anima, it could probably, it probably would have a lot more positive reception around it. Right, that's, that's, that's like my thinking because like you have a song like the pot and it's like really accessible like the vocal melody is just so catchy i i personally love his falsetto vocals and it stays in that like three four time signature and it has that killer bass line but like you know you compare the song to like schism and it's just like it's night and day and then but like you also get like the crown jewel of this album which i think is the 11 minute you know rosetta stone like not only is the band jumping between different time signatures again but that vocal effect is insane, and, and, and it is insane, or it sounds like that, because Maynard is, like, throwing these stream-of-consciousness lyrics at us so fast. And personally, I love the lyrical writing on this one just because of how wacky it is. It talks about, like, a bad trip at Area 51, and you you really can't go wrong with a track where Maynard says that he shits the bed. I'm just, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, this song, um, it definitely... Definitely shifts the bed in a good way. <laughs> but uh, overall, I would I would say like even though I think this album is okay compared to other uh, Tool projects, okay for Tool is like still really fucking good compared to other projects. Absolutely, absolutely. So don't let this one like underwhelm you at first, especially coming off of like Anima or Lateralis. I, I think this one is is a bit of a grower. It definitely like grew on me. And and when I was um, listening to these albums again. In preparation for this uh, episode, I was just like, man, I can't believe I didn't, I, I didn't like fully like this when I first heard this. But this was the last album for the band for 13 years. They took a huge hiatus in between this album and then their most recent album. But in that time, wasn't Maynard working on a couple of side projects? Yeah. So um, a perfect circle, kind of, it's kind of referred to as like a super group. It's one of Maynard James Keenan's uh, side projects, right. and it was founded by him and Billy Howardell, I believe, back in 1999. And it's kind of like it sounds kind of similar to Tool in a way. It's very like it sounds very much just like hard rock, basically. I guess if I, I can't really put it any way 
other than just by uh, saying it's kind of like more accessible than Tool. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't have like 15 minute long songs or they usually don't have 15 minute long songs and they kind of talk just about more like um they're not like as esoteric or like and they don't really talk about like philosophy or whatever as much as um you might get in tool or that might be a legend in tools lyric obviously we've had Mana james keenan we've had uh billy howard dell they've had um they've performed with like i believe or they they've worked with people from marilyn manson they've worked with people from uh they they have like the current lineup includes uh the smashing pumpkins guitarist and bassist oh, okay. as well, i believe their drummer too and it's kind of just like i mean i guess you could really call it a super group yeah it, it really sounds like it cool smashing pumpkins but then you know i, I th- was did he not release or did they not release an a, an album in 2019 like an, they're still like active yeah, they're still pretty active. I think they just kind of work at their own pace. It's very much a, um, it's very, it's not like they're working constantly on music, I believe. I think it's largely Billy Howardell just coming up with the music whenever he wants to. And then Maine and James Keenan will kind of follow up by just smacking some lyrics on top <laughs> um, and then gathering various other instrumentalists to come through and contribute. All right. Would you recommend any uh, albums or songs from A Perfect Circle? Hmm. So I think some of their big songs is, um, you know, We Can Powerless. That's a good song. Three Libras, that's a good song, too. And then if you really want to get some, like, pull links and threads, uh, The Outsider and then Judith, which is actually uh, another reference to Maina James Keenan's mother. And also Eat the Elephant's a pretty solid album, too. It kind of gets political. And sometimes it gets a little bit too boomery for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, Eat the Elephant's a really solid album by them. The Dooms, absolute banger track. By and Down the River, just a couple of examples of really good songs off that project. You know, and then for quite a while, it seemed like Tool just went completely dark. They just weren't making any music. Were there? I think there were like allusions to an, a new album. But it wasn't until 2019 where they released their most recent LP, Fear Inoculum. This is another album that I didn't care for when I first heard it. It kind of sounded redundant, like Tool were just playing like the classics and, and, and not really evolving. But much like 10,000 Days, I would say that this one is a grower as well. It definitely benefits from repeated lessons because once I was over that initial, you know, it doesn't sound different from their other stuff, or they didn't try anything new. I found that this album fucking slapped. Yeah, it's um, I would say it's a pretty solid album. It's like I said with uh, Ten Thousand Days. It's not like my favorite album, but it's incredibly solid, and it really gives people kind of it kind of gives people directly what they wanted. Is uh, you know, just they people wanted more Tool, and so you know they got an hour and a half of it. <laughs> Yeah, and they got those, uh, they got insanely long songs again. Right. I don't think there is a single track on this album um, that's not like a like a transition or interlude or like troll track that's less than 10 minutes long. Yeah. And I like doing, you know, doing my research for this episode, I just, I found out that one, the version that we see on like Spotify or just streaming, streaming services is a different version than from physical copies. Um, the interludes that 
aren't, I think, Chocolate Chip Trip are additional songs they added for the digital release. The physical copy only has seven songs, and that's like every 10-plus-minute song, plus Chocolate Chip Trip. And, and they just really went all in for this, like, seven like this number seven like theme for this album the the riffs were written with unusual time signatures in mind all of them relating to the number seven and even the final track at least for the physical edition tempest instead of a t at the beginning of tempest it's just a seven so it looks like seven empist really calling back to their fans um who were probably playing video games and using leet speak (laughs) I thought you say that the fans that like read too much into how they make their music or how they like structure like an album. No, I think they're pretty on the nose with this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the music, I think, sort of reflects that, too. I mean, a lot of I think the reason why I was so against this album when I first heard it is because a lot of the songs do kind of sound similar. They have a slow build that eventually like crescendos and we get like these dramatic breakdowns, which it kind of is hard to distinguish one song from another in the first couple of listens. But like I said, it, it, this one really benefits from repeated listens because the only song that really stood out to me when I first heard this album and, and the song that stuck with me was Tempest. And and that song is just constantly shifting. It, it tries to incorporate all of these chugging riffs, you know, insane guitar and drum solos, epic vocal performances from Maynard. Honestly, this song like really has it all. It it could work as like the culmination of like Tool's discography and like kind of like a final track. If like we don't know if this is their final album, at least I don't think this is their final album. Or they've come out saying that they're done, but it kind of it does work that way, right? And um, honestly, like they've been making music for oh my god, like thirty years now. If you think about it, because they started back in the early nineties, and so. Um, if it takes them 13 years to come out with this, or if, if it took them 13 years to come out with this album, I don't imagine that we'll be getting any more like, Tool music. If we do, then it might just, I mean, we probably only have room for one more until they're like done with everything for good. Yeah. Yeah. And if there, if this was their final album, I think, I think it was a pretty good one. I, I you know, I'm over the the whole like, like not hating on it, but just like not like feeling indifferent about this album. Because there are mm-hmm. some tracks on here that are just like incredible. My my second favorite track, because Tempest is my first favorite track. My second favorite track is Invincible, which is uh, you know a song I was like hearing before we um, started recording, because again it's another great slow building track, and Maynard's like chanting, uh, warrior struggling to remain consequential. It's just really like awesome and and. I you know I I try not to use epic like unironically but you know there are a lot of epic compositions throughout Fear Inoculum. So I really like this I really like this track to uh, Invincible. It's just you know very slow and moving and it kind of builds up. The one thing that kills it for me though is <laughs> that line where he mentions um uh chasing Ponce, uh, Ponce de Leon's phantoms. I don't know why that's just kind of like I don't know. I feel like again it's just kind of um they don't really kind of hide their references and um, in subtleties like they kind of used to. But I don't know. Um, that could just be me being uh, unreasonably uh, highbrow with my uh, expectations. Well, that makes sense. You know, you've been a Tool fan for you know so long. 
And I think that was partially my problem with this album too at first. But, you know, it's just like <laughs> coming from me who kind of like hears the music before the lyrics. Like I was just so not impressed, but I was just like, yeah, this is good. Like, like I'm not I'm not upset with this. Um, there, there are like references to like transcendentalism, like in Numa, because it seems like Maynard's talking about the limitations of a, a physical body again, kind of recalling lyrics from like Lateralis. But I mean, if if I'm completely honest, I I'm more concerned with how hard the track goes because it like kind of meanders a bit with the same riff getting drilled in your mind before these incredible drum rolls which by the way carrie is still amazing 13 years after like releasing Ten Thousand days he's still a freaking amazing drum drummer but you know it, it crescendos as well too so i i was I, like i was again pretty happy with like how the music sounded even mm-hmm. if the lyrics kind of were a bit lackluster yeah it's definitely another one of those cases where um the album is okay for me but you also got to think just okay for Tool is still pretty fucking good. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I could say like, yeah, maybe this album could still use, you know, some some variation because the structures seem to follow the same. Like It repeats itself. But yeah, it isn't a terrible album whatsoever. And that pretty much concludes our Tool discography rundown. Five albums, one EP. And then if you really want to get uh, all stan about it, They've also got what's it like a CD box called uh, Salivale, which it, I think it came out after Anima, I believe so. Um, yeah, because I think the first track is Third Eye. Yeah, yeah, it came after Anima, which is ba- uh, it's basically just a box set with um, some live versions of songs where they kind of change stuff up. Um, they've got a cover of "You Lied" by Peach. They've also got a Led Zeppelin cover of No No uh, No Quarter, which is an absolute banger. Look that up on YouTube if you haven't heard it. Yeah, I still got to listen to um, that. It's so good. <laughs> and then um, they've also got this track at the end. It's called L A M C, which features a hidden song at the end, uh, titled Maynard's Dick, um, in classic Tool fashion. Bringing which is actually pretty good. Bringing it full circle because he he said that quote, or I, I mentioned that quote at the beginning of this segment where he just talked about how Tool is a, a dick. <laughs> that that's actually the tool they're referring to right there. Is uh, and their their band titles referring to Maynard's Dick. Amazing. I I got to listen to that live album, and I guess if you want to get even more Stan-ish, and I think that's the term you used, but uh, there's that demo tape that I also mentioned. Uh, at the top of this segment, but it just ends up like those are the better versions of those songs end up in like opiate and undertow anyway. But yeah, that pretty much does it for tools discography. Now, like I do for all of these guides, I'm going to offer up my listening order of how you should listen to this band's discography. And Edward, if you want, you can also offer up your own listening order because I think mine could be a bit different than yours. Honestly, I say this like every time, but like, honestly, if you want to listen to this uh, band from the first album to the last album, I think you could do that and you could have like a very satisfying experience. But for my listening order, I would recommend Anima first because it is kind of accessible while also delving into the more experimental and uh, uh, more technically impressive uh, uh, compositions of their music. Then... If you if you like more of the straightforward songwriting, I would 
definitely listen to Undertow next. But if you want more of that technical uh, achievement, listen to Lateralis. And then after that, I think you can listen to like 10,000 Days and then Fear Inoculum and then Opiate last. I think that's my listening order. I think for me, my listening order is honestly just the release order. Because for me, I think Opiate's probably their most accessible project. Their, I think their longest track is actually Opiate of about eight and a half minutes. But this one of those things where it's got like a little hidden track at the end. I feel like Opiate's the most accessible and it really gets you into it. And then um, you just kind of work your way up as the the band kind of progressively pushed the envelope more and more as they kind of moved forward with their albums. Undertow is still pretty accessible. It's like, it's Opiate 2, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. They kind of push the boundaries a little bit more. Then you can just kind of move on to Anima, where you can you can kind of you can kind of loosely refer to it maybe as Opiate Three um, in terms of how they kind of sound. Yeah, um, they're all all three of these albums are for the most part pretty like loud and aggressive. And then you kind of see maybe an epilogue with Lateralis, where it's still kind of in your face, but not as much. You can like they've definitely grown since then. And that's where it gets, uh, I don't want to say less accessible, but um, you definitely have to kind of like strap in if you're going to listen for this or listen to this project all at once. Just because, uh, you know, these tracks average probably about eight or nine minutes, um, depending on which song you're listening to. And then um, like you kind of you kind of see a cultural reset with 10,000 Days where it's still it's like it's still tool, but it's told differently. Yeah. It's not it's not so like aggressive in your face. It's just kind of uh, emotional in a different way, as I said earlier. And then Fear Inoculum is kind of similar to that, too, where they kind of uh, it's not as emotional, I believe, but it's very um, it's still kind of tool, but um, older and wiser. We got that like final tool album after 13 years, you know, and it's like, yeah. Fear Inoculum is is uh, is just you know even if you don't like it it's like oh this we still got this like one last thing if this is their last album mm-hmm. but yeah that's our listening orders and that's Tool um, if I could share a couple of things before we kind of start closing out um, yeah, of just a couple of closing thoughts about Tool so like I mentioned in the beginning Tool is very much just a band that um, the lyrics can I mean. That that quote from Maynard in the beginning about how tools just kind of like really what you want it to be. I think that really holds up. And anyone who definitively claims that they know what tool actually means in their songs is either terminally online or just doesn't know what they talk about. <laughs> um, like we we in in this show we mentioned that the ten thousand days refers to the twenty seven years in which Maynard, uh, Maynard's mother was uh, suffering from a stroke. Yeah, yeah. and um. There's another take where Maynard actually says that in an interview that the 27 years actually refers to, I don't know, like the orbit of Saturn or some crazy shit. I think they do that to just intentionally kind of throw people off and keep it ambiguous, keep it mysterious. So people just project their own feelings onto it. And if you want to get more tool sound and you want to have like a different kind of version of Maynard James Keenan, you should check out Pussifer, which is another side project of his. It's another kind of like super group. But absolutely just different style of music entirely. They've got songs like Country Boner, where Maynard talks about fucking all these country singers from uh, Dolly Parton to the Oak Ridge Boys, Johnny Cash. Um, 
It's a fun song. It's very like typical. Very like a, yeah, definitely. You can definitely. He's from. I made it from Arizona, and you can definitely hear that in like the lyrics. Because he's got like a like a twang to him sometimes in these songs. But totally, totally recommend checking out the too. It's a. Uh, it's a uh, interest. Yeah, yeah. Especially if we get more of that. You know, his incredible vocal range. I'm all for uh, more Maynard. Mm-hmm. Stylistically, you get you definitely see his stylistic changes rather than his uh, vocal range. Yeah, well, hey, I'm, I'll go check them out right now because I, I definitely have that tool itch. But I want to thank you for joining me on this episode. And if you would like to plug anything before we finish off this segment, please feel yeah. free to do so. Yeah, so if you want to see um, my hot takes or anything like that, I don't really talk about music much on Twitter, but I do sometimes. You can follow me on Twitter at UmbralCat. That's U-M-B-R-A-L-Cat. I mostly just kind of talk about politics, but if you want to if you want to check that out, go ahead. And also, I will say that if we got anything wrong, if I got anything wrong, don't come at me on Twitter. You can, uh, you can, you can direct all complaints to Joe, and he'll he'll handle them. Man, Joe's gonna get, Joe's gonna get a reckoning. <laughs> yeah. All these smart people are going to come after Joe now. Exactly. Exactly. Intellectual dark web users. All right. So I think that wraps it up. Uh, Edward, same time, same place next week. Sounds good. All right. What is your favorite tool album? What is your favorite tool song? You can let me know on social media at Sound Connors on Twitter and Instagram. You can also leave me a voice message on soundonconnors.com or anchor.fm forward slash soundonconnors. Leave a voice message and your voice message might be featured on the next episode. Please send in your thoughts because I would love to continue this tool discussion. And that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Make sure to tune in next week for another exciting installment. You know, it was it was really fun to have Edward on. And, you know, I think I might just have him on again. And we might talk about another artist that we really love. In the meantime, you can follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram pages with the handle at Sound Encounters. I post updates and share music memes on those accounts. And I interact with the lovely people who give my posts a like and a comment. You can also send me a voice message through Anchor to recommend a topic I should talk about, or you could give me some feedback. And if you do, I'll give you a shout out on the show. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash sound encounters or soundencounters.com or follow the link in the podcast description to send your message. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and that too could be featured in an upcoming episode. All right, that about wraps it up. Rock on music explorers. I'll see you next week. Ciao.